0: Today's scripture is John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, let's let's go ahead and uh, thank the MacMillan family. Again, yeah, what a what an exciting and significant time for. For our church and the crew, um, so so church uh, again. As I said earlier, my name is Dave, and, and uh, it is an honor and a privilege. As you've just heard, we we take very seriously the calling to lead uh, God's people as His fellow imperfect people depended on Him. So um, we're going to turn to the scriptures together. If would you join? We're back in John. So welcome back to John. You can turn to your neighbor and say that if you want. Or Let's get into John together. John chapter 17. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and meet me there. If you don't, will you hold your hand up high and keep it up? We want to get you a Bible. Okay, We want to make sure everyone has a Bible of their own. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo I was um, So again, this is a gift to you, okay? If you don't own one, please keep this and put your name in it and, and read the Bible and, and trust that God will speak to you through it. With that in mind, would you pray with me again as we come before the scriptures together? Again, Father, we come before you as a community, a collective, a whole. You refer to us as a body in some places where you are the head we're different parts of the same body in other places you refer to us as a family and ultimately you are our father um lord jesus you are our older brother you've won us into the family you've given us all the privileges and rights for those who have put their faith in you to be a part of your family to go before god our Father, fully and freely, and I admit, I confess myself, and probably for many of us, it's sometimes we take that for granted, and and then for others, maybe even this morning, maybe they've heard that, they've said that, but it's never sunk in deeply, or maybe they never have. Lord, I pray that through our time together in Your Word, You will bring Your good news, Your gospel, to life, Lord, that You will shape us. It will sink deeply into our hearts and flow out of every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we have a a brief time together this morning, uh, but I'm I'm excited to get back into John 17 together. And as I read through this, someone came to mind, and it might come together for you, but how many of you have driven... Through or past the intersection on Country Club and Elm, right? Where Elm in Pima, right? Like in typical Tucson fashion, it changes names multiple times. Well, Pima slash Elm going east and west crosses Country Club. How many of you have driven through that in the morning on a weekday or in the afternoon on a weekday? There's a crossing guard there. Uh, I don't know what they're called today, um, but we used to know it as a crossing guard. There's someone there who, who, who helps children walk across the intersection and, and, and specifically this one man comes alive. I mean, if you're having a bad day and you're driving through that intersection, you're at least going to be aware that, that someone else is not having a bad day. And, and I think he uses his role to encourage others. He is waving at cars, dancing, maybe flipping the sign around. I don't know, but it it is hard to stay in a funk and stay insular when you look at this guy. Well, it specifically stands out to me because one of my great disappointments in life is I never got to be a crossing guard. (laughs) When I was a kid, I don't know if any of you, if this was just my neighborhood in uh, San Diego, California, El Cajon, California, um... So students, kids, got to be uh, crossing guards. I don't know if that says something about my neighborhood, or if it was uh, if that was just the way things were, you know, back in the day. But but it was when you were in fifth grade or sixth grade, you got to apply for, be nominated for, become a part of the crossing guard. We call it the safety patrol, and 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 you got to wear a red vest and a little red hard hat. It was probably plastic. Well, my older brother got to be one, and it was—I mean, you got out of class a little, little bit earlier. You walked in formation. I think they even had it broken down like military, like sergeants and captains and different things. And it was only like three or four people at a time, but you'd walk out in order, and you did, and they'd all stop together and do this whole this whole deal, and right there in their red vest and their red. you know, hard hats, and they'd stand out there on the corner of um, Greenfield, right near Greenfield and Mollison in El Cajon, California, and have the authority to stand in front of cars, adults, right? It could be other teachers, whoever, and you'd hold the sign out here, and you'd stop, and you'd be like this, and it was a big deal. (laughs) Well, we moved between fifth and sixth grade for me, and then I lived in Arkansas. There are not intersections uh, where I lived, <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was no safety patrol, but unlike the guy I see most mornings at the corner of Country Club in Elm in Tucson, Arizona, that wasn't my goal, wasn't to bring joy to others. There were certain privileges that came along with being a part of the safety patrol at Magnolia Elementary. In sixth grade, you had some street cred. You had some authority, some influence, some popularity. Maybe that was just in my circles, right? Maybe other people thought they were the biggest dorks in school. But um, I know I aspired to it, but it was really for kind of selfish reasons. That's a long time ago and I'm okay now. I've moved on (laughs) from wanting to be safety patrol. But there are other things, right, that I might aspire to. What is it for you? What was it for you? What, what role of privilege, power, affluence, influence did you or do you aspire to? Because we all have something that we want to either cling to or eventually get and then cling to for our good, for our gain. And the result is we clamor over each other. We trample over one another. We want to push others down and build ourselves up for selfish gain. But as we get into John chapter 17, specifically verses 1 through 5, we get a window into Jesus' heart, into an intimate prayer where he prays that the Father would give him glory and authority. But unlike you and me, He wants it so he can bless others, so he can give life to others, most pointedly at great cost to himself. He doesn't just want to grasp and to cling to so that he can then trample others, but he wants to receive and have so that he can then give away. Again, that's unlike us. So with that, will you join me as we turn to John chapter 17, meet me in verse 1 as we look at Jesus' heart in prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And then um, skip down to verse 5 with me. And then Jesus can continues to pray. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So a few things. First, note with me as Jesus begins this prayer, right? It it says here, after Jesus had said these things, he lifted his eyes up to heaven. That's language that, that is from the Psalms. That, that, that there was this posture of of, of Psalms of ascent, of, of of moving toward intimacy and proximity to God. So Jesus is lifting his eyes up and he's praying. It's not because like God is up there, right, and outside. It's, but there's this this whole idea of God's God's holiness, His reverence, His His otherness, His sent apartness, and that Jesus is moving into a unique place of intimacy with his Father. And so something to note here, right? It says, he says, Father, the hour has come. So as Jesus is praying, first as we move into this passage, it's important for us, especially in 2022, in our world, this is first and foremost a prayer. And and, and I wanna briefly mention this because I think we are prone to or we lean toward over-theologizing things in such a way that we um, overly engage our intellect and we, we make it academic, right? We make it heady. We make it intellectual. First and foremost, there is theology here, but, but, but as is always the case, but especially in this instance where Jesus is praying, the foundational reality for us, hear me church, is we're getting a window into the heart of Jesus, Again, I I, I hate that we even have to say that, but it's because so often we view theology sometimes as like ammo, often as as a wall to keep away from our own hearts, and in effect even to miss the heart of God. So first and foremost, as we, we look at this, let's remember, even throughout the next three weeks, as we walk slowly through the the high priestly prayer through John chapter 17, let's remember that we're looking at Jesus' heart of praying to his Father for his people. And what does he say? He says, the hour has come. This is the hour of Jesus' crucifixion, the time when Jesus will now go out into the garden with his disciples. He will be arrested unjustly, arrested, beaten, abused, tried, slandered, and ultimately crucified, shamefully, horribly, and then ultimately victoriously rising from the dead. But the hour, the climax of his life on earth, right? We just celebrated Christmas what and there's a song that we sing sometimes from a manger to a tree okay the whole point was for him to go from being born in a manger to dying on a cross and the hour has finally come now let me ask you for a moment again to help us kind of look at Jesus and understand him that he was he was fully man fully god and yet fully man he's facing the most scary reality that any of us can even begin to understand. Have you ever had a sleepless night? Have you ever had a, maybe a presentation, a first day at a new school, you know, something that maybe you did something negatively and you were going to get consequences for it the next day and you're waiting for that. You're a kid or an adult or whatever and it's like, just wait for this. I'll talk to you tomorrow or go in your room and wait for me and there's that. That ang- right? Enter into that for a moment. What are you feeling? What are you doing? J- Jesus is praying about glory and authority. But again, in that moment, would you and I be praying about glory and authority for others? <laughs> Likely not. Right? Likely to protect ourselves. Likely to, oh man, if I have, Lord, don't let, don't let the, all the egg on my face be revealed in this meeting, in this moment. Don't let all the stuff I did just be fully laid bare. Like, like protect a little bit of my dignity. Well, as Jesus is looking at hanging naked, shamefully rejected on a cross, and he's praying about glory, he's doing so for you and for me. And for the Father. Okay, let me pause there for a moment, right? And I want to get into this. So that word glory, right? That's a churchy word. And if you all know me, I try to kind of define or explain the churchy words, especially because I didn't grow up in a churchy home or environment. And I was always like, what does that word even mean? Right? Glory is something that we use a lot. You don't have to hold your hand up, but anyone here who grew up in like the 60s or 70s, there was a word used a lot, heavy. Right? Oh, that's heavy. That's, that's heavy, man. It, it's, that's weight, or maybe you watch that 70s show. I won't ask for a show of hands for that either, right? But th- that, this idea of, 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 of with weight, right? With, like, if, if we live in Tucson, Arizona, some of my kids did mariachi. When a, a mariachi group is playing, sometimes people will, will shout out con ganas. Con ganas. It's like to spur, and it means, like, with weight, Right, like bring weight to what you're doing. And so when Jesus is talking about glory, he's saying, he's saying let your weight, let the magnitude of, of who you are be revealed. And again, let me pause briefly for a moment. I, I, there's so much to go into here. But church, in our world, right, as we talk about how we relate with each other, over the last couple years, we talk about the, the government and authorities and power And then as those things go into how we relate with each other, as we talk about church authority, right? Just what we just did earlier. We talk about elders and pastors and and RC leaders and different roles of authority and leadership. And sometimes without even knowing what happens is we start continuing to operate out of the script of the world rather than the script of God. And in this moment, we get a window into how God operates within himself, the Trinity. I know that's a weighty, that's a big subject. Again, I can't give it full full attention, but the Trinity is one God in three persons. And from before creation even came into existence, we see the, the Trinity, what author and pastor Timothy Keller often refers to as the sacred dance. And most often when we press into that, we see a continual routine of deferring, of honoring and deferring. And, and, and so I'm just going to go there for a minute again. When we talk within our church about, about, about husbands and wives— about, again, elders and church, elders and pastors and church relationships. We talk about re- relationships of, of authority and submission. Our propensity is to go to the world, and we've seen this, to go to, oh wait, and to assume there's, 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 there's grasping and there's clamoring, and rightly so, there's, we're, we're, we're defensive because there's abuse of authority. There's abuse of, of influence, there's abuse of, of power. And, and time and time again, we see the script being played out of, I want more so that I can build myself up and push others down. But when we look at the relationship of God within himself, we see this, this something completely different. We see the Son, like just, I hope you're tracking me. Are you tracking with me right now? You can say not yet fully. And so hang with me, right? Again, in verse five, we see Jesus says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So remember, Jesus is God. Okay, Jesus is on the throne in Genesis 1 and 2. We see this beautiful Hebrew poetry of God creating the world, and we see the relationship among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit beautifully, perfectly working together. And then Jesus, God the Son, right? It's not like second class. He's not JV. It's not like God the Father is God 1A. Jesus is 1B. The Holy Spirit is 1C. That's how we often think about it, but fully God Jesus humbly and obediently being sent by the Father. And then we see here that he is dependent on the Father. He's asking the Father to glorify him. In verses two and four, which we'll get to in a moment, he recognizes that the authority he has is given by the Father as he fulfills his ministry on earth. And all throughout, we see that Jesus is relying upon God, the Holy Spirit, to empower him and enable him and equip him to carry out the ministry that he's called to when Jesus walks on water, when Jesus heals the leper, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's not just Jesus pulling out the God card. It's Jesus relying on the Holy Spirit, depending upon, in a sense, they're submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. But then when Jesus ascends, Right after he dies and raises from the dead and then ascends to the right hand of God the Father, what does Jesus do? He sends the Holy Spirit, the helper. So in our category, in our world, right, you would think that the Spirit would be like, whoa, 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 now you're going to send me? I, I'm the one who helped you do all this stuff that when you were on earth. Like, now you're going to send me? Right, That sounds silly, but is that not the, the economy, the play, the script that we tend to operate in? Let's acknowledge here it's completely different when we look at God. So when we see God the Son, Jesus, praying to his Father, there's humility, there's, there's, there's deference, there's not a clamoring, there's absolutely no selfishness. And why does Jesus ask for these things? For you and for me. Look in verses 2 and 4 now as we read. And then Jesus continues, since you have given him authority over all flesh. He's referring to himself there. As you, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, so that word authority that Jesus is acknowledging he's been given. Okay, think of it like this: when we were in, in Mark, we talked about this, and that was now it feels like an eternity ago, right? That word authority, when when it comes up, is 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 like um, like author. Okay, the, it's it's of original stuff. So again, this is a reminder that Jesus who is fully God, who is the author of life. Okay, this is a reminder back to um, John chapter one, right? And then back to Genesis one and two, that Jesus is God, that he is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that all things were created through and for Jesus. So Jesus here is talking about glory and authority. But why? Why? He says, so that I can accomplish the work that you have given me. At this point, he's accomplished the work. He's brought the kingdom into the broken world that you and I have just marred up. We have rebelled against God. We've turned away sin, sickness, war, poverty, injustice, evil of every kind. Jesus came and brought the perfect kingdom of God into the broken world, his broken world. And he has all authority as the author. And he has lived that out in the life of Jesus. It's not just the example, but it's a picture of the way things should be, the way things will be, and the way things are for those who belong to Jesus. His glory and authority, perfectly, faithfully obeying the will of the Father But why, as we kind of bring this home, the crux of this part is in verse three. Why did Jesus do all this? What did he care about? In verse three, giving life to his people. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And he says that the Father sent him, gave him glory gave him authority so that he could give life to all those who follow him, to all those who belong to him. There's a a possessive language all throughout scripture of not just, again, we want to over-intellectualize this stuff. It's just in our heads. Know that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you entrust your life to Jesus, Right? You, in you, and, and, and like, think of in a heart level, full surrender, surrendering to Jesus means that the Father has entrusted you to Him. You belong to Him. He died on the cross, He rose from the dead. The whole work that He was sent to do is to bring life, full, rich, eternal life. Just even right now, as I say that, again, pause right now, kind of look inward. You don't need to actually look down. But, like, think about how are you interacting with this stuff? Is in your mind, is it, oh, so that when I die, I won't go to hell? Let me just say briefly, it is that, but so much more. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly not just then not just somewhere out there but but once you entrust yourself to Jesus that you will begin to live into full rich life eternal life that 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 in in um in in in, in John verse 146 Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Again, it's he's talking about every aspect of life. In 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 John chapter 20, verses 20, or sorry, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, when Jesus is, when John is talking about the whole purpose for this book, John, the book of John, and the whole Bible. The point is so that you and I will see Jesus, that we will believe in him, trust that he is God the Son, and that through him, by his name, by entrusting ourselves to him, we will have life, eternal life. Again, I want to pause here, okay, before we close, before we transition into our time of response, again, lay bare before God right now. Do you have life in Jesus? What is the quality of your life? If you're not a Christian, if you've never put your faith in Him, honestly, candidly, inspect your life. What? are you striving for? What are you clamoring for? What are you longing for? If you are a follower of Jesus and you're tempted like me to just be like, oh yeah, I, I get this stuff. Yeah, life in Jesus. Even those verses I just said earlier, you're like, oh, I've memorized those. I've known them. I sing songs about them. I got it. Life in Jesus. Like, Do, do, some, do some evaluation. Are there things that you don't have right now, that you think, once I get that, then I will be fulfilled. Once I have that, that recognition, that relationship, that security, that strength, whatever it might be. I don't know. I don't need to go through everything, whatever. I don't know what it is, but what is it for you? There's something. Once I have that, a spouse, kids, different kids, right? (laughs) You know, whatever it might be, right? Once I have that, and for some, even it's just on a day, right? For sometimes it's a feeling. I've joked about us before, you know, it's like, oh, sometimes I, I'm like, you know, it's a, it's a good hair day, it's a, you know, slim jeans, skinny, you know, whatever, it's our thing that makes us feel that certain way. It's a certain amount of caffeine, whatever it is. Oh, when I have that, now I live for that. I'm clamoring for that. Or what do you have already that if that were taken away, it would be over. Again, it might be, oh, I feel this way. I don't want to stop this exercise routine, this eating routine. I want to do it because, man, if I stop feeling this way, I will just be, I can't. I don't want to live any other way. I, I'm, and and it, health is good. Exercise is good. But when it's like I need to feel that way, if that's taken away, or my health, my fright, if, oh, I can't, if that happened, if that was taken away from me, if this relationship my, ch- I hate even saying these things, right? But it's, oh, if I lost my spouse or a child or a friendship or a relationship, I, I no longer exist. Life is over. Would it be hard, unimaginable, painful? Yes, yes, yes. But is that your source of life? Because if so, It's futile. Those are good things, but when those become the foundational source of who you are, your identity, your purpose, your your life is sinking sand. It's terrifying. But Jesus came to give life. And he says, he promises that all those whom the Father has entrusted to Him will never be snatched out of His hands. So church, as we look at Jesus, is He trustworthy? Yes. He who had all glory, all power, all authority, gave it away for you and for us and for them Now, for those looking for so what, like, so what do I do with this? In Philippians chapter 2, very quickly, I won't even read all this. He he says this, the author in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, the author Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then verses 6 through 8 go on to basically say the same thing that Jesus has done give yourself away. Give away your glory. Give away your authority. Give away your power. You don't need to grasp. You can give yourself away because he has given himself to you. Because his life is now so fully your life. Because you never have to worry about being rejected because God of all creation looks at you and says, you're mine. I gave everything away for you. You are now so fully filled up that you and I are now able, empowered, to live the Christian life of giving ourselves away, laying down our rights, not clamoring. Because we already have in full, we don't have to grasp. What does that mean for us? Let's pray and respond together to Jesus. Lord, thank you for Thank you for taking the initiative. Lord, we would never choose you. We would never choose surrender to you. We would never choose laying down our rights for the good of others. We would never choose your glory over our own. And yet, Jesus, you, who had all glory, all authority, laid it down time and time again. Even in that moment, praying to your Father, you asked for glory. You recognized your authority so that you would be all the more empowered to fully give yourself away on the cross. Lord, again, I pray now, even now as we go into a time of responding to you, Lord, that this sinks deeply into our hearts. That this isn't high theology that we don't stay in our heads. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room is compelled, empowered to understand your incredible sacrificial love for us so that we can now respond to you and live life, full, rich, powerful life, Christ-like life of giving ourselves away for your glory, others' good, and our joy. Amen.